got to admit, when, when Pastor Steve rang me and said, we want you to do part two of the series on TikTok theology. I, you know, I, I don't even know how to describe that. At first, I got it wrong because I'm, I'm not great on social media. So we have a breath freshener in Australia called Tic Tacs. And I thought, the church, they're doing a series on breath freshener. I better look that up. Finally, my children corrected me in the only way that children can, by putting me down about my social media presence, which is basically zero. And they said, no, it's TikTok. So I studied TikTok, TikTok theology. Now, as a former lawyer who loves words, that's a contradiction in terms. I just want to say that straight out. It is a contradiction in terms. TikTok theology. Because what I've discovered about TikTok is they don't have any theology. And here's what I want to make the point about today's message. Because I'm going to be speaking about a subject that TikTok will never speak about. TikTok is unreality. It's a false reality. Don't you kid yourself. There is no sense of reality about TikTok. And what we're going to be talking about today, every single one of you and all those online as well, you will experience it. That's not a prophecy. That's the reality. Every single one of you will experience what we're going to be speaking about. TikTok will never talk about this subject because it's just too hard. And sometimes it's a bit too unpleasant. We're going to be talking about Lazarus, Lazarus rising. And at the end of the message, we're going to ask the question that no one wants to ask. So I hope you'll stay with me till the end. Because I've got to tell you, the end is the most challenging part. But if we don't ask those hard questions... I don't know about you, but I need to know them, and God's not afraid of them. So TikTok theology, we're going to talk about something real today. Lazarus rising. Come on, why don't we pray? Why don't we pray the oldest prayer that's ever been uttered? It's three words. You ready for this? Easy to remember. Holy Spirit, come. Why don't you say it? Come on. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Come to me today, Lord. Come to every one of us, whether we're in this room or online. Holy Spirit, just come and open our hearts and our eyes and our ears. And Lord, I just want you to be glorified. You do the work today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I just find it totally amusing that people who have no faith whatsoever or are actively anti-faith use religious slogans all the time. Do you find that? I do. I go with a running group and they're constantly using religious slogans, yet many of them have no concept of faith, don't want to know faith, and some of them are actually anti-faith. So I find them saying things like this. It's a David and Goliath contest. Uh, it's from the Bible. And then what about this one? Here's another one. He or she was crucified in the press. Now, I know there's more than just one crucifixion in history, but they're referring to a biblical concept, crucifixion. Or here's another one, let there be light. You know, I love that. I, I seem to have read that somewhere in the Bible as well. When you walk into a darkened place, there's light. Or here's another one, eat, drink, and be merry. Yep, read that in the Bible as well. But here's my favourite and I don't know about you, but in Australian sporting and political culture, this is used all the time. And you'll find it done in relation to someone who's making a comeback. Have you seen that? A team making a comeback, an individual making a comeback, someone in politics making a comeback. And the, 
all of a sudden you'll find this phrase, he or she, they've done a Lazarus. Have you heard that phrase or is it just in Australia? In fact, our former Prime Minister wrote a whole book called Lazarus Rising because he went from nothing to being someone, nothing again, to being Prime Minister. So I thought, you know what, let's talk about Lazarus. Let's really examine this wonderful story, which is more than just a nice story of someone who has risen from the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but it's found in John chapter 11, and it's an amazing story. Here, I mean, is there a better story than this? Lazarus, dead for four days, buried in a tomb, wrapped in the garments of death, and Jesus raises him from the dead. I've got to tell you, that is some story. Will you help me this morning? That is just some story. And when you look at what happened, it gets even better. Now, we don't know a lot about Lazarus, to be honest. We don't know what his occupation was. We do know that he came somehow to know Lazarus's family, Martha and Mary, and he visited with them on numerous occasions. In fact, he stayed with them and ate with them and, and seemed to spend heaps of time with them. And we also know that Lazarus was described as being this dear friend of Jesus. There was an intimacy there. And then we find out that Lazarus gets sick. And he gets a message. He sends a message. His family sends a message to Jesus. And despite that, Jesus does not even attempt to hurry back to the bedside of Lazarus for two days. Now, I don't know about you, but at this point, I'm getting a bit worried about my theology, to be honest. Jesus finds out his dear friend is sick, and he says, yeah, we'll just relax a bit for two days. And then Lazarus passes away and dies. And Jesus arrives, not a day later, not two days later, but four days later after he passes away. This is not just a story of rising a human being from the dead. Friends, can you hear this? This is not just a nice little story. This is a story which demonstrates the resurrection power of God in all situations. I need you to know that. This is a story of the resurrection power of God in all situations. And you know, throughout the history of the Bible, there's a thread which holds the biblical story together. And do you know what that thread is? Resurrection is the heart of God. Resurrection is the heart of God. That's the thread that runs right through the Bible. That God takes situations, please listen, that are dead and resurrects them. And everyone, as I said, at some point in time in their life is going to need a resurrection experience. Some of you today are in situations where you say, God, there is no hope but you. I need a resurrection experience. And there's going to be times when something in your life is dead and the resurrection power of God is the only hope you've got. Could be a dream. It could be a dream that you've had. And you look at that dream today and you think, I can't even begin to imagine it's going to happen. It's dead. It's got the smell of death about it. Or it could be an aspect of your health. Some part of your body is not functioning and needs life. It could be a relationship. One of the prayer requests today was on that exact issue, a relationship. A relationship that just seems to have, well, gone dead. 
And it can't be restored except through the resurrection power of God. Or some aspect of your business or your career or your job, it's got that smell of death attached to it. This is not just Lazarus' story, friends. It's not Lazarus' story. It's your story. It's my story. I could give you my life story, but it would take far too long. And it's filled with these moments of no hope and resurrection power of God coming into it. It's filled. Every Christian has those stories. But yet I find that it's more than just a nice story. It's your promise. Do you understand that? The story's great, but a promise is real. The resurrection power of God right through the Bible is a promise. And I just wondered this morning, can I just wonder out loud? I wonder if you really believe that. Because sometimes unless you're in those circumstances, you don't even think about it. I wonder if you really believe that God is this God of resurrection power. And so when Lazarus dies and he's in the tomb for four days and Jesus turns up on the scene, can I tell you it's not a really friendly environment to appear in relation to. I mean, here he is six days later. He turns up and the first person who greets him is Martha. Lazarus's sister. And here's the, the moment that takes place. And I've got to tell you right at the very beginning, there's a little bit of Martha in us all. There's a little bit of Martha in me, to be honest. Because in John 11, 21 and 22, she comes straight up. She says, how are you, Jesus? It's so good to see you. No, she doesn't say that. Here's what she says. Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Come in for a scone. No, I don't think so. But then she does this. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Do you notice something about Martha's reply? There is just no faith in that statement. I'm, I'm sorry, there's no faith in that statement. That's why I relate to Martha. Because I'm wondering if my first reaction is sometimes Martha's. There's no faith there. If only, if only. And then that throwaway line, yeah, God will give you what you ask. It's like this, yeah, it's an afterthought. Maybe I was a bit too hard on him after his hard four-day trip to come and be with me. You see, don't you think there's a little bit of Martha in us all when we need a, a miracle when something has actually died? And our first reaction is not that God can resurrect. Do you know what our first reaction is sometimes? Why did you let this happen? Why did you let that happen? It's tough, isn't it? Because I've said that many times. My life is full of why did you let that happen moments. See, your first reaction to a challenge, especially one that requires the resurrection power of God, says everything about you. Well, that's a bit hard on a Sunday morning, isn't it, from this poor old Aussie? Your first reaction to a challenge, especially one that requires resurrection power, says everything about you. And more than that, it probably will dictate how you're then going to respond. That's hard, isn't it? But it's true. And Martha's reaction, it's critical. Now, it's grief-stricken. Please understand it's grief-stricken and grief is given to us by God. It is not bad. I just want to put that in right now. All right, right now. But I'm not preaching on grief this morning. But let me just say that right at the outset. But I just, I don't know what to do now, you see. 
You see, because I see myself in Martha, but who do I, who do I compare my, who's my role model in this? Well, it has to be Jesus, doesn't it? And I look at Jesus' reaction compared with Martha's. Here's the reaction of Jesus. He makes three, not one, three emphatic statements to this situation that needs the resurrection power of God. And you can read them. The first one is, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. Wow. And then he goes further than that. He says, your brother will rise again. And then he says the most famous phrase, perhaps in all the phrases that he ever uttered. He says, let me tell you about this now. The third, the third statement that he makes, this statement of faith. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. And then the punchline looks Martha in the eye and says, do you believe this, Martha? Maybe I can say that to you this morning. Do you believe that? See, I want you to also notice that Mary is no better. <laughs> Mary then fronts up. And she's not inviting Jesus into the house for scones and jam either, I'm telling you. All right, because at this point in time, Mary says, Lord... Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. It gets worse than that. But then the crowd jumps in. The crowd. They decide to just give their opinion on the situation as well. And in verse 37, hey, the crowd, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? And so here we have Mary, we've got Martha, but we've got the whole crowd. It's great to have a pack mentality, isn't it, really? This whole crowd, there they are gathering. No faith, but plenty of critical attitude. See, I've discovered when I need resurrection power, and I'm facing situations where I can't even spell the word hope, that sometimes I'm going to be the only one who believes that God's the resurrection. I'm going to be the only one. The only one I'm going to, I'm, I'm just, I'm the only one. And I've discovered that that's all I need. I can be the only one. You can be the only one to believe that God is the resurrection. It's okay. Sometimes it's a lonely journey, but it's okay because it's you and God. So when you're believing for a miracle, when you have to exercise resurrection faith, when you can smell death upon you, that dream, that relationship, when there's no encouragement, no support, and you feel all alone, and doubt creeps into your head because all the voices around you can't believe that God would be the resurrection and the life. Come on, let's ask this question. What do you do? What do you do? Let's get practical. What do you do? Because if you haven't been there, then let me just preach to me because I've been there a couple of times. What do you do? See, when I look at what Jesus does, I see a pattern and I have to follow that. I know it's unpopular with TikTok that we follow Jesus, but I've got to follow that pattern because it's the only pattern I've got. And I see this pattern for believing that God is the resurrection and the life. I see hope in hopeless situations. I see the first thing that Jesus does. Yeah, you're ready for this. The first thing is he deals with his emotions. One very understandable emotion, as I said, is grief. And we need to grieve. But Martha and Mary, they're grieving, and they should. And we should grieve in circumstances we, when we've experienced loss. Please hear that. But Jesus has this other emotion. 
that fascinates me, but it's part of who he is. And I've never thought about it in this light. The emotion that he has first up is anger. Oh, that's going to test out your TikTok theology, isn't it? Anger. Verse 38, it says Jesus was still angry when he arrived at the tomb. Previously, we're told in verse 33 that a deep anger welled up within him. Another version says he was angry in his spirit and he was deeply troubled. Now, notice it is not that he doesn't have emotions or feelings, but he controls them. What's going on? Come on, what's going on? Jesus was not passive about Lazarus. He was not prepared to be negative. But he becomes, this, he becomes angry about it. Now, we don't know the exact reason why he's angry, I'll be honest. But we do know a couple of, there's a couple of suggestions. Perhaps he's angry because of the lack of faith in the crowd. He's angry at the negativity. But in a healthy way, he's angry. I want you to listen to this. Jesus did not react. There was no aggression or yelling or screaming or bad behavior or arrogance or judgment. He dealt with his emotions. He controlled his emotions. Why was he able to do this? Because he knew God was the resurrection. I could be angry, but I know God's the resurrection. I know he's the resurrection. He was there, you see. Jesus was there when his father created the world out of nothing. In other words, he resurrected the world from the death of chaos. He'd seen it all. He's seen it all. He knows resurrection. He's been there from the very moment in time when resurrection started, the thread through the Bible itself. And isn't it interesting that John, who records this story, later in life writes this in 1 John 3.20. He says, do you know I've discovered that God is greater than our feelings? He actually knows everything. Novel concept. So let's just stop for a minute as we continue the journey. When a challenge comes that requires resurrection, what's your first reaction? Come on, what is it? What emotions surface first? Because for Jesus, it was anger, but he directed his anger, he controlled his anger. But what's the emotion that you normally would have? Grief, no doubt. Fear. Disappointment with God? Because you think deep down that God had something to do with the death or should have prevented it? Hey, God, you gave me the dream, then you've just kiboshed it. Anxiety or bitterness or even unsure what to do next after the pain of what you perceive as the final moment. Now, remember, your reaction, your emotions at this time are going to dictate the next step you take. That's the key. Every step is dictated by the previous one. And so the story continues, so I want to know, what does Jesus do next? I don't know about you, but I'm quite excited about this story. And remember the first step was he dealt with his emotions. What does he do next? Well, verses 38 and 39 said this. Jesus, still angry when he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone was rolled across his entrance, and he just says, roll the stone away. Those few words we just don't get the significance of. In the hostility of the crowd... In the anger of the family. Hey, roll the stone away. But hang on a minute. Martha comes up. Uh, now, let me refresh my memory because I'm not very bright, but was this the woman that came up first up and said to Jesus, hey, if you'd been here, Lazarus would not have died. 
I just throw that in at this particular point in time. Yet she says, oh, is this the Martha that says, hey, if you were here, this wouldn't have happened. You actually could have prevented this. But now we've got the Martha saying this, hey, uh, Lord, I'm going to protest about this because he'd been dead for four days and the smell would be terrible. Have we got this same woman who is saying, you can do anything now, saying, no, you can't. Uh, it's a bit too hard for you, Jesus. Maybe when he was alive, you could have done something. Maybe, well, maybe after a day or two days, but four, I've got to tell you, you can't do that. I, I just laugh at this situation because I see myself in it a little bit. Okay, God, you can do certain things, but when it all becomes too hard, well, you probably can't do it anyway. And Jesus just steps almost over the top of her and says and acts in faith. And see, once you act in faith, I've discovered be prepared for some opposition. Oh, did I say that too nicely? See, when you step out in faith, be prepared for some opposition. And are you willing to deal with the opposition? Because here's faith. Here's the statement of faith. Roll the stone away. Here's the opposition. Lord, it's, he's been dead for four days. The smell's going to be terrible. When you step out in faith, sometimes your greatest opposition will be those closest to you. Wow. The opposition may be circumstances. It might be you. It might be your background, your past experiences, your mindset, your faith background. And opposition will always attempt to rob faith of its resurrection power, friends. Do you understand that? Opposition will attempt to rob the resurrection power from you. And here's Jesus being criticised by Martha for turning up late. Now that Jesus is acting to bring Lazarus back, she says, please don't roll that stone away. What does she want to do? Does she want Jesus to do nothing? See, opposition is defeated by the language of conviction. Come on. In other words... Sometimes you need to speak against the opposition. Don't remain silent. Speak the language of faith. Speak the language of faith. Too many resurrection miracles are destroyed because the voice of the opposition is allowed to thrive. Don't roll the throne away. It'll be a bit of a stench. Roll the stone away. The stone is rolled away and verse 43, my favourite verse, your favourite verse, hopefully, and Lazarus comes out. The dead man comes out. Well, I found that horrifically exciting, but anyway. Do you notice in this story that Jesus spent more time dealing with those who had robbed him of his faith than the actual exercise of faith itself? See, maybe the real lesson of this resurrection story, I know resurrection will be opposed, sometimes it's our friends, sometimes it's circumstances. That opposition needs to be defeated before that step of faith is taken because faith does require a confidence and a trust in God, in not what the opposition is saying. Perhaps that's the lesson of this whole story. Now, this is the part of the message that yeah, I don't want to preach. And wouldn't you know it, I've still got time left to preach it. <laughs> I hate this part. So I thought up until now I've been pretty good, but now I'm probably not going to be. See, what if there is no resurrection in your mind? See, sometimes we don't ask that question, what if? What, what, what if? I mean, your emotions are dealt with and you act in faith. 
Lazarus lived, but what about James? What about James, great apostle of the church? Well, he didn't receive what he was probably praying for in that prison cell. Or what about Stephen, hoping the stones would miss? And we know Peter and Paul, and in fact all the apostles apart from John were martyred. John, it is, survived just by being dropped into boiling fat of oil and he survived and everyone was so amazed they then exiled him. But how do you and I reconcile this? How do we answer that question? See, I don't know, you probably wonder, well, he doesn't even have a pulpit up here. He doesn't even have a table with water on it. Uh, One of the reasons is I probably knocked that over anyway. You see, a few years ago, I woke up one morning and I didn't have sight in one of my eyes. Didn't have any sight. And I thought, well, as a famous movie once said, Houston, we have a problem. And so we went to the doctor first up, Gail and I, because we thought it was fairly urgent considering I was blind in one eye. And the doctor took one look, the specialist, and said, look, you've got a detached retina, it's fairly bad. And I thought, okay, well, if you give me some medication, I should be right by the afternoon because I've got a lot to do. And he said, no, Mark, you don't understand. He said, I'm going to refer you to a friend of mine, another specialist, who specialises in this. You'll be in surgery within about four or five hours. He said, we're going to try to save your eye. Now, I, I didn't expect that sort of news. And so we were rushed for Brisbane, and lo and behold, that, that afternoon, I was in surgery. And when I woke up, the news came. He said, well, look, the tear was just so bad. He said, you've probably got, we don't know, we're going to do some tests when we take the patch off, but we think you've got permanent double vision. Now, I thought at the time, that's probably going to be a bit of a problem, especially when I'm a preacher, I'm a communicator, I'd like to read. You know, you know, you know all, these, all these things. See, my first reaction was not faith, it was the negative. What if? Now, the lenses of my glasses have slightly corrected my vision, but I have no peripheral vision, so I walk into things regularly and fall downstairs occasionally, but I can't see my notes now if they're fixed. I'm a preacher, God. I'm a lawyer. Didn't you realise that when my eye went like this? Martha's voice started to echo. If only you... I mean, you could have prevented this. How do we answer that question? Do you know I love Hebrews 11? I get off on Hebrews 11. It's the hall of faith. You go through that hall of faith and you feel like you're walking through the hall of faith, don't you? Those witnesses on either side yelling and screaming and encouraging you. Moses saying, yeah, by faith I did this, and this one, by faith. But then we come to this awkward set of verses towards the end. From verse 35, and it starts off with a really, really wonderful phrase which has a huge kick to it. And it says, there were others. Oh, I I think I'm part of the others. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain These next four words are your four words. They're my four words. They're our four words. And even better resurrection. There's a better resurrection. 
Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. They were all commended for their faith. Commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us that only together with us they would be made perfect. And finally, I got it. I know, lawyer, thick as a brick. Oh, that's an Australian expression. Not too bright. I realised that there was a better resurrection for me. I might have double vision, but boy, my dependency on God went up. I found new ways to communicate. I found new ways of doing things that I can't even begin and do not want to even share with you. But I know what a better resurrection is. And there are times when you don't receive what your prayers are going to want. But there is a better resurrection. And if you do not believe that, then I'm telling you, friends, the gospel means nothing. There is a resurrection. There is a better resurrection. There is a better resurrection. There is a better resurrection. Commended for their faith to stand before God and say, yeah, I know you were sawn in two. I know you were stoned. I know you were martyred. I know that that dream just didn't end up like you thought, but you are to be commended for your faith. And then I realised, I realised that resurrection is not determined by the end result. Resurrection is determined in the eyes of God by the journey we undertake. As difficult as it may be, God loves to journey with us. Our eyes on the end result all the time, and he's saying, just the journey, it's the journey. So even if I do not receive what I believe I was entitled or promised to, I will still believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And sometimes that resurrection, unfortunately for me, does not look like what I want. But I'm going to trust God for an even better resurrection. And for you here today, who have the smell of death about something of your life, the resurrection power of God is here.